Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20. I love to come together and just talk about God's word, talk about his love, his grace, his goodness, what it's like to live life in Christ. I really think that we should leave church every Sunday encouraged about who we are. Did you hear me? Encouraged. I used to think if I left church feeling like I was unworthy and a pile of dung, then man, that was a great message. But I'm here to say something. The word of God should encourage you. It should point you to who you really are. It should show you who your father really is. And I'm telling you, we've had some, some distorted views of who God is. And we really try. I mean, I strive. If there's anything I strive to do, it's to present a proper picture of who our Heavenly Father is and what life in Christ really looks like. Amen. So Acts chapter 20. I love the name of this book. It's called Acts because it's really the Acts of the Apostles. What you see all through this, it's really, it's, it's a history book to show us how the early church was beginning. I mean, you've got to think about these guys. They, they came out of Judaism into this new way called the way. That's what they referred to it as, a new covenant. And so they were trying to gather their thoughts and gather their bearings on how this new covenant was supposed to play out. I mean, these are Jewish boys. The apostles are trying to figure it out. Now, this is the Apostle Paul here. Just a little background. This is the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. And what's amazing about this, he visits 31 towns in the span of four years. He travels almost 2,500 miles. Think about this. And this, this is just the third missionary journey, 2,500 miles. It was almost 1,200 miles by sea and over 1,300 by land. Now, in this portion of Scripture, he's about 50 years old. I think this is really interesting. I've been studying the life of Paul. And you know that Paul, somewhere around 25 is when he was brought in. And he started to harass the, the early church. He started to uh, kill Christians. But he had an experience within a five-year period. And it's right around 30 years old that he began ministry. Who else started at 30 years old? Jesus. Isn't that wild? So it's 20 years in the ministry here. He's about 50 years old. And here he is. He's talking to the elders at the church in Ephesus. And this is a big deal because this is like the last time that he's going to see them. In fact, th- there was a prophet... Uh, a guy who was blessed with the gift of prophecy who told Paul, he says, you're going to end up bound by hands and feet and given over to the Gentiles. And that happened. I mean, he was, within, he was in prison twice by the Romans after he went to Jerusalem. And then he was finally martyred around the age of 65. He only lived about 65 years. But look at the impact he had on the early church. So at this moment right here, when he's, when he's speaking this to these elders in Ephesus, He's telling them something. He's saying, guys, everything I've taught you, I I admonish you to stick to the gospel. Be careful. False teachers are going to come in. They're going to try to mix in Judaism and and Gnosticism. They're going to try to mix in works and more law and say, Jesus is great, but if you mix a little bit of law in, it's even better. But the truth is it isn't. It's false teaching. And so uh, Paul's telling these things. He's saying, stick with it because I'm not going to see you again. And so they were weeping. They're like, Paul, could you stay just a little bit longer? I mean, Paul blessed them, this, this revelation he had by the Holy Spirit of what, about what the good news and the gospel really meant. So here's what the apostle Paul says here in Acts 20, verse 32. He says, and now I commend you to the care of God and to the message of his grace. 
Here he is. He's admonishing them to not stray from the gospel. He's warning them of false teachers. He's saying, continue with the faith. Stick with the faith. I know that we're being persecuted by by Jerusalem and even Rome stepping in, and it gets really, really bad after a few years. And he's saying to them, I commend you to the care of God and to the care of the message of his grace. Think of the final moments of Paul with these church elders. He says this, and then he says this, which is able to build you up and give you the blessings God has for all of his people. What does God do? What does the gospel of grace do? It builds us up. You see that? It's from this perspective, from the words of the Apostle Paul, that I want to continue our series today, Stuff Jesus Never Said. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have another opportunity this morning to look into your word, to really get your heart. What is your heart for us? As believers, even as unbelievers, how do you see us? What is your plan for our lives? I thank you, Holy Spirit, in just these few moments we have together, we get better perspective and clarity this morning. We would see things differently than when we first came in, and we would leave with a freedom we've never experienced before. Not because of my words, but because of your words, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. How many love going to the movies? Raise your hand. We're a church that goes to movies. It's okay. I think you should use some discretion on what you go and see. Now, how many enjoy 3D movies? Now, when you take little kids sometimes, you try to go to the 2D version, which is kind of like, well, we'll downgrade. That's what you feel like, right? But you're spending less money. How are you downgrading? But you go to the 2D because when they're little, they just don't want to keep the glasses on. I remember when Aiden used to argue and fuss and fight about the glasses when he was little. We're like, oh, we shouldn't have brought them. So then I don't see the movie. I'm irritated. I'm like, what's going on? Keep your glasses on. No, it looks fine. It looks fine. It's blurry with the glasses off. How's it? We need to go get you some help. Let's go to Sam's. You know, they get free, free tests for your eyes. We go to these movies, these 3D movies, and you know, you have to wear glasses, don't you? A few weeks ago, my son, Ethan, the oldest, my oldest son, middle boy, still living at home because he's 13. Uh, he, he had his 13th birthday, so we decided, hey, let's do something. What do you want to do? And uh, so we, he had some friends over, and we're going to go and do some different things. But the first night, we went to a movie. So we went to IMAX 3D. It's not the real IMAX, if you ask people like John Siglow. But, but we went to the fake IMAX in Grand Blank. And uh, it's, it's okay, right? And it was 3D, the 3D version of the movie Kong. Did you see Kong? It actually turned out a lot better than I thought. It was a good movie. So anyway, we go to this movie, and before we go in, we get our popcorn and all these goodies, and we told me we could bring a couple friends, and man was, wow, that bill was pretty high, but we love you, son. Happy 13th birthday. We'll do another birthday in like three years. So we go up to IMAX, and we get all these snacks and all this stuff. Now, have you ever noticed that, that when you get drinks now, they're bigger than they used to be? I remember when it was like an 8-ounce and a 12 and a 16. You're like, man, this 16-ounce, I don't know how I'm going to finish this pop. But now, like, the large is a 64-ounce. And so you go to the theater, and they're like, hey, what do you want? We're like, give me the 60. And they do this, hey, you want the Kong collector's cup? And they don't have little collector's cups. No, no, they're like this big. It's like you're drinking these drinks. What is going on? It's 64 ounces. And I'm like, 64 ounces? Hey, guys, are you going to get water? Oh, no, you're going to get, oh, slushies? Have you seen these slushy things? They're not even flavors, they're colors. What flavor do you want? Blue and red. When was blue and red ever a flavor? Do you have any orange? No, blue, red, and brown. 
What brown? That doesn't even sound good. 64 ounces of, let's be honest, pure sugar, but it's frozen. So it must be okay. So every single boy gets 64 ounces of slushy drink. Yeah, I know, right? They, they were spending the night at my house too. So that's exciting. Between the yelling, being up late, the, the smell. You ever had teenage boys get together? The smell? I don't know where all this stuff protrudes. Maybe it's the 64 ounces of sugar. So we sit down and the movie hasn't even started yet. And we like to sit in the very top row, last row in the middle. So that if you go to the bathroom, forget it, you're never going to make it. So we're sitting, sitting there, and, and I see them at one point. We're not even sitting there maybe 10 minutes, and they all get up. I'm like, hey, hey, where, where are you guys going? And they're like, well, we're, we ran out of slushy. I'm like, you ran out of slushy? So are you going to the bathroom now? No, we're going to get a refill. They're free. 64, 128 ounces. I said, okay, dudes, just chill out. Don't freak out. Don't be, become the sugar Gestapo. It's his birthday. Okay, guys, go get another one. They go get another 64 ounces. I'm not kidding you. And you guys drank every drop. 128 ounces of pure sugar, but it's frozen, so it's good for you. About 10 minutes later, movie's getting ready to start. They get up again. They start walking. I'm like, hey, hey, where, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going to refill our slushies. I'm like, I'm drawing the line. Are you guys trying to get diabetes before we leave the theater? What are you doing? I said, no, I'm drawing the line. If you want to go get a water, you can get a water. But 64 ounces, that's not going to work. So they sit back down. At one point, I looked down the row, and they all have their 3D glasses on. Now, it's, it must be cool because when you're younger, you get them out, and you put them on as soon as you get in the theater. Now, for me, I'm melancholy. I have a way about doing things. I put my coat down. I put my cup. I got my napkins. Everything's situated perfectly. I got my snacks that I snuck in because I'm a Christian. So I'm sitting there. <laughs> it's just chocolate. I bought the popcorn and everything else, so I feel good about it. Right, Lord? Okay. So I'm sitting there. And I'm getting ready to eat my popcorn. I'm like, I'm not going to put my glasses on. The previews haven't started. They're getting ready to. I look down the row. Every one of them has their glasses on. One of his friends, I'm not kidding you, the glasses were on his face like this. They were crooked. And I looked and I went, Ethan, what, what's up with your buddy's glasses? He's like, oh, he, he broke them. I'm like, he, he broke the glasses. We've been here 20 minutes. How did he break his glasses? And so I started judging him. Why would he, these kids, they just wrestle. They were probably goofing around and he ended up busting. So he's like this. He's like, yeah, that's good. And he's looking at me and I'm like, yeah, it's good. All right. So here I am, here I am judging him. Well, the movie starts up and I'm like, oh, I got to get my glasses. So I, I open my package of glasses and I pull it out and I open it up and the left arm comes completely off. <laughs> the left arm comes completely off my glasses. And now as a melancholy, if anyone knows me, I like things in order. I'm freaking out. I'm like, this isn't going to work. Kristen goes, what's up? I'm like, my glasses just broke. So I'm trying to fix them and I click them in and I put them on and it falls off. And, and I'm like, she's like, well, will it work? She goes, go get another pair. And I'm like, no, the previews have started. The movie's starting. I can't go get another pair now. We're locked in. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm trying to fix it and I put it on and they're crooked and I'm freaking out. Now, let me say, it probably looked okay, but all I could feel like my nose, I was trying to balance it and I had this arm a little higher so it would counterbalance and it just felt weird. I'm like, everyone sees me. It's not going to work. I can't see it clear. I'm not seeing the previews. I paid for these. So it's just, it's really irritating. So finally, I'm like, this, this, I got to be able to fix this. So it's totally dark in the theater now. 
The lights go down, Kong starting. I'm like, I got to do this. So I like in the dark, I'm trying to click these in because it's, it's kind of loose, but I think I can fix it. So I'm like this and I push and I push and I push. I'm not kidding you. The arm falls off my lap. I hear it hit the cement and then roll down under the row in front of me. Now I'm freaking out. I can't even watch the movie. How, what am I going to do? Kristen's like, babe, just, just, just hold them up. Not hold them up. I got to eat popcorn and the snacks I snuck in. So I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I get my phone out. I turn the flashlight on. I'm crawling around like this. I should have just went and got a new pair. I'm crawling around. I'm reaching down. I'm trying to find the part of the glasses. I finally find it. I get it up there. And now I'm trying to balance my, my, my phone light. You can't hold it in your mouth like a flashlight. So I'm trying to balance it. I finally click it in. I get them on. And then I stand still and it's good. Life is good. I only missed the first couple minutes. I didn't miss Samuel L. Jackson, one of my favorite actors. So I'm all good. I'm happy now. It's funny, isn't it? Here I am making this big orchestrated deal out of my glasses, but it was a big deal to me. See, first of all, if I didn't have glasses, you ever, you ever taken your glasses off to go, is it really 3D? Oh, yeah. Oh, and really to kind of see what it looks like? Without the 3D glasses, think about this, things would be out of focus. And like I said, even with the, the broken ones, I wouldn't quite be viewing or focusing on the movie. I'd be focusing on the issue with the glasses. There wouldn't be true clarity. You know, the Bible, the word of God brings us clarity because the lens that we view God through really matters. The lens that we view the gospel through really matters. The lens that we we view his word through, the Bible through, really matters. We need clarity. If not, it becomes convoluted. We don't quite see it clearly. We don't quite understand it. And that's where these false ideas come from. So in this series, Stuff Jesus Never Said, that's what we're visiting. That's what we're looking at. What are things that Jesus didn't say? And then what is it that he really did say? What is it that he, the living word, the Bible, really says about those issues? So this week, we're looking at another meme. Check this out. Here's Jesus, stuff that Jesus never said. So we've got Jesus up here. He's hanging out. He's just teaching and preaching. And he says this, God wants to break you. God wants to break you. Now, for some of us here, we're like, really? I don't think I've ever heard that. Just take a couple minutes on Google. You ever Google something and you get just tons of things? Just Google, God wants to break you. I'm not kidding you. You'll get songs, sermons, teachings, podcasts, more songs, blogs about the fact that God wants to take you and break you and make you. There was one on there. There was a prayer. A guy prayed. He wrote it all out. He kept saying, break me, Lord. Break me. This is a believer. Break me, Lord. I need you to break me. Remove your hand from me so I can be broken and I can learn and be blessed by you. Now you laugh, but I was almost in tears. Why would we think that God would break us? Now again, just like last week, If I say certain things and it tweaks you for a moment and that little defensive mode rises up, that's okay. That's good. I want you to go home after today, take these notes, study them out, and make sure what I'm teaching is correct. 
But, and even at the end, we can agree to disagree as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why can't we do that in the church, just agree to disagree sometimes and not think that we have it all and know it all? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? That's really what matters. That's central to the gospel. If you try to tell me there's, there's 15 ways to heaven, that's where I'll go, mm, no, there's one. I've got to stand my ground on this. But as far as doctrinal issues, we need to stop fighting sometimes and just agree to disagree. But I hope you agree with me today after we look into the scripture, this idea that God wants to break you. So here's the question, is God breaking me or is he building me? Is he breaking you or is he building you? Listen, there's songs about it. Break me, Lord. Wreck this place. Break me. Now, now hear me out. Don't tune out. I, I want us to go through this whole process and really see what the scriptures say about this. Is God breaking me or is he building me? Now think about this idea of brokenness. I don't think that it's really an awful term, but perhaps we've misjudged it. Does God try to break us? I mean, is he tearing us down till we fall to pieces, we're backed into a corner, and finally we're like, okay, God, have your way, I guess. This is the idea some have, that God is trying to break us down. Here's the problem with this idea. If you, as a new creation in Christ, as a believer... If God has to break you down, then what's wrong with you? I mean, if he has to break you down, did he not do a good enough job at salvation of making you 100% righteous, pure, and holy? Now, I understand that we have thoughts and we have to renew our mind. There's, there's things through this process of growth, but we have this idea that he's tearing us down, that we fall to pieces, and finally he can bless us. Finally, he can utilize us in the gospel. This term, take me, break me and make me. It sounds very religious and very holy. But the only time we should say, take me, break me and make me is as an unbeliever at salvation. Because what he does is he takes you as you offer yourself. He breaks you. Better yet, he crucifies you. He kills you. God kills me. Yeah, God killed me. But it's a spiritual thing that happens. It says that we were crucified with Christ, but now are raised again with him to newness of life. Think about this process. So at salvation, you said, take me, break me. He's like, no problem. I'll crucify that old person. But guess what comes out on the other side? A beautiful, brand new spirit, brand new person, righteous, holy, pleasing, acceptable. Get this, a child of God. Do you realize as a believer that you're a child of God? Maybe we don't hear that enough. You're a son and a daughter of God as a believer. So I I can understand this idea, take me, break me, make me, maybe at salvation. But I'm telling you what, we're brand new. Now here's the problem with this idea. If we really think that God has to break us, what we're saying is, hey man, this is so cool, I got saved, God made me brand new, it's amazing, I have a new self, say new self. And so you got this new self. It's who you are now at the core. It's who you really are. It's who God sees you as because he made you that way. But then people turn around and go, oh, you know what my problem is? What? Myself. What? Why is yourself the problem? Well, because, you know, I, I got issues. Yeah, we, we all got issues. But let's not mix up your actions at times with who you really are. And what happens is we start to have this idea that we're, we're in this battle. It's like I have sin nature and righteous nature. Uh, I'm righteous, but I'm kind of bad, and so we're fighting. We're fighting. You know, this is a battle of the mind, but this doesn't determine who you really are. Either we believe God made us 100% 
righteous at the core at salvation or we don't? Did he do a good enough job? So when you think about this, we can say, hallelujah, I'm brand new, it's great, but there's a problem with myself. Here's the thing, he recreated us brand new in Christ Jesus, didn't he? As a new self, a new person. Stop saying that yourself isn't good. Now here's the deal. About four weeks ago or so, we started a series, five weeks now, and finished up called The Way of Love. And we found out that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's what? Self. Self. I'm not talking about self-effort. I'm not talking about selfishness. I'm talking about yourself. Do you follow me here? Who you really are on a day-to-day basis as a child of God. You need to get up and say, I'm a child of God. I'm righteous. I'm pleasing. I'm perfect. I'm holy. But my actions, pastor, no, I get it. It's going to take a while to renew our mind and to change some things. In fact, think, of, think about this. God isn't in the, in the business of breaking us, but he's certainly in the business of breaking old thought patterns old habits, to this idea of breaking our dependency on the flesh, our dependency and focus on anything other than him. Do you follow me? He's definitely wanting to break those things of our life, but you as an individual, as a person that he's made brand new at the core, the Bible says a new creation created in Christ Jesus. What's it say? Old things have passed away. We use that term passed away. We can refer to it as dead. Do you realize that old way is dead? That old man is dead? All things. He says, behold. In other words, check this out. Look at this. Behold. All things. Say all. All. Say it again. All things have become new. And then we look at our actions on any given day and go, man, I thought all things were new. Listen, you are brand new. At the core, God made you part of his lineage, part of his family. That's who you are. Now, there's a process of renewing our mind, Romans 12, 2. We're transformed. We're changed. Those things we desire to see, they come from renewing our minds. Does that make sense? But who you are doesn't change. Do you hear me? A miracle takes place at salvation. You're brand new at the core. In fact, Romans 6, 5 says this. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, in other words, crucified with Christ, certainly, I love this, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his what? Resurrection. See, as believers, we are brand new. We're resurrected anew. Who you are now is not who you used to be. If we think God's got to break us, who we are, then we fall into this, this false idea that we're just a sinner saved by grace. When God looks at me, he puts on the Jesus glasses and then I'm okay. No, he made you okay, 100%. But pastor, I mean, this is scary ground. I mean, how can you say that? Because God says that about us. This isn't my opinion, this is his. And if you want to walk more holy and righteously, you're never going to do it if you think you're a dirty worm. You'll never do it if you think God's got to break me. Man, I'm wrestling with myself and my spirit's kind of good and kind of bad. No, it's 100% good. It's a mind thing. We have to renew our minds. So maybe the problem isn't self. Maybe it's flesh. You know, we actually have a choice to walk according to the spirit or according to the flesh. But whatever way we choose, you're going to have consequences. I mean, you can have great reward by making great choices and living righteously. Or you can have really bad circumstances and consequences for making dumb decisions. How many made dumb decisions before? I'll I'll just weigh both hands. You make dumb decisions, there's consequences, but it doesn't change your status with God. You're his child. 
My, my child had done some doozies in their life. But never once did I say, you're no longer mine, cutting you out of the family. See you later. Have a good life. Wish you would have been perfect. Am I a better father than my heavenly father? The answer is no. He's so good to us. He doesn't cut us out of the family because we make mistakes. He's always working in and through us to show us the way of righteousness, to help us say no and teach us to say no to ungodliness because he doesn't like the consequences of sin. I didn't, I didn't like many of the consequences that my children faced because of bad decisions, but I still loved them right where they were and still would always try to show them truth and show them righteousness and give them a way to say, okay, I need to make better decisions in my life, but never once did I cut them off and say, you're done. Never once did I say, I need to break you down because you're not good enough. You're my kids and I love you. See, when my confidence and dependency on the flesh is broken, I don't go back there. I learn my lesson. I move on. I mean, that's this process of growth, right? So in that sense, I believe that our Heavenly Father, who wants the best for us, he wants to break that confidence in the flesh. He wants to break confidence in anything that's not him. Really, breaking you and breaking confidence in anything other than himself are two separate things. You follow me? It's two separate issues. He's not breaking you. He loves you. He made you 100% like him at the core. That's who you are. But he's certainly in the business of breaking confidence in anything other than him. Where's your focus? That's what the Holy Spirit's saying. Where is your focus? Because one way is mentoring and disciplining toward a new way of thinking and acting. Where the other, think about this, is crushing of your very spirit. That's not the gospel, folks. God is not in the business of crushing us and trying to, trying to manipulate and force us and just get us to a point where we're so broken that we're like, okay, God, I guess you can, you can just have my way whether I want to or not. No, he loves us to a point where we realize there's no better way to live than in the love of my father. There's no better way to live than to understand he has my best interest in mind and he's here to help me through this process because he promised to never leave me and never forsake me. It's a beautiful way to live, amen? So if you're in Christ, your heavenly father is building you up. You are safe. You are solid. You're secure in him. So again, the question, we'll keep asking this, is God breaking us or building us up in him. Now, sometimes I think we get this idea that God's trying to push us down to be exalted separately from us. You ever heard this before? It's, it's all a God and it's none of me. You know, Jesus said something really interesting in the scriptures. He says, the glory that the Father has given me, I now give to you. What? The glory that my Father God has given to me I know give to you. Think about that. God gave you glory. He, he wants to live life united with us. The gospel is not God apart from us. It's us united with Christ. A couple weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians six seventeen, which says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That word united in the Greek means to be cemented or glued together. It's like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is saying, you can't get rid of me. This is a done deal. Nobody can pull you out of my hand. My face always shines towards you. I'll never leave you. I won't abandon you. We're in this together. We're cemented together. We're glued together. I'll tell you what, if we would see ourselves 
truly, like this is stated, we'd make better decisions. Because if you think you're dirty and distant, how do you think you're going to act? But if you really believe that you're close and clean and you're God's child, you'll make better decisions. And you'll start to see yourself work out the salvation that he's worked in. The fruit, the growth, the good works. He's already put it there. He did it. And Jesus said this actually. He says, there's no growth apart from me. You can't do anything apart from me. God causes the growth. Stop trying to grow spiritually. You're 100% like God in your spirit. We're growing right here. It's renewing our mind. It's saying, God, help me to see things differently because we have old habits and thought processes. I understand that. And we have this, this, this codependency on the flesh. And, and when we go to that addiction because tough stuff is tough and, and life is hard and so it triggers that trigger and then we, we go to that, well, we choose to say, no, Father, I'm going to go to you. It's so much better because the grass isn't greener on the other side. I like what Pete says. It's just astroturf. It's fake. It's not real. The grass isn't greener. The greener pastures are on God's side. Amen? Amen. So this idea of being united is an important word. It's an important concept. And and we, we definitely cannot take it lightly. If we do, we end up saying things like I just said a few minutes ago. All of God and none of me. It's just all of Jesus, brother. Well, Well, then where did you go? Think about it. Where did you go? If it's all of him and none of you, where did you go? What does it say about you? It says that you're pitiful and and you're not worthy and you can't even be a part of the equation. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up with the gospel. God with us, not apart from us. And this union is not by accident. God does it and he desires it. And if we're not careful, it sounds like Eastern world religion. Just empty yourself of everything until it's all God or all light. No, no, no. Salvation, the gospel says it's about us and God joined together, united, and we do life together from here through all eternity, and he'll never leave us. It's beautiful. I think if we're not careful, we do end up in this religious double talk. Man, I'm 100% okay with God. It's amazing. You saved. Yeah, when I got saved, man, 100% okay. It's awesome. But there's so much that needs to be done, and I guess who I really am isn't okay with him. Well, are you okay or not? Now, I know things need to be done in the natural out here, working out the salvation, but either you're 100% okay with God or you're not. What a lie. Let me ask you this. Who offered you new life? Who offered you new life in Christ? God. Who obtained it for you? Jesus Christ. So what's the question? There isn't a question. We're united with him forever. Christianity is not about the tearing down of Christians, but the building up of Christians in and through Christ. I want to read a few scriptures. And would you just do me a favor? Just close your eyes for a minute while I read this. They won't even be on the screen. But I want to read several scriptures, and I want you to pick up on the theme that's going on here. I want you to draw a picture in your mind of what you're hearing. With every eye closed, listen to these scriptures. Acts 22. The Apostle Paul, traveling through the country... Passing from one gathering to another, he gave constant encouragement, lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. Romans 14, 9. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, 
so that we'll give grace to those who hear. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19 says, All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, listen to this, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Now open your eyes. Did you see it? Do you see the theme here? It's about building you up. It's about edifying you. It's about encouraging you. This is the gospel. The gospel is all about your being built up in him. If there's any breaking going on, it's at salvation when you're crucified, but he doesn't stop there. He raises you up again in Christ, with Christ, a brand new creation. Do we see it? See, our spiritual geography changes. Where, where we, we stand in life spiritually changes. We go from death to life. We go from in Adam to in Christ. The Bible says we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Do you see it? This is who you are as a new creation. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, a little background. This is the Corinthians. Paul has already visited there twice. He's getting ready to return for a third visit. And he actually writes this letter. And in the letter, he says, listen, there's, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of you, there's a group of you who's just acting foolish and crazy and you're sinning all over the place. I've already, I've already discussed this and tried to deal with this twice. I'm hearing reports that, that you're just sinning and going crazy. You're thinking that, that you can sin more so that grace could abound, but, but that's certainly not the issue here. And so he's talking to these people, and he's trying to tell them, when I come again, I don't want to have to even deal with this. Now, if you're, if you're not familiar with the Corinthians, these guys were like Vegas meets Mardi Gras meets spring break. I mean, these guys were crazy. They, Paul said, you do things that even the Gentiles wouldn't think of doing. That's pretty crazy. Because the Gentiles did some crazy stuff. They worshiped some crazy gods and did some really wild, crazy, radical stuff we don't even have to get into here. But he says, you even do things they wouldn't think of doing. This is who he's addressing. Kind of a side note, it's interesting to me that all through Corinthians, he never once calls them sinners. To the saints at the church of Corinth. To the saints. To the saints. To the saints. Wait, wait, there's that crazy sin a bunch. Oh, I know. And I've dealt with this several times, and I'm going to write again so I don't have to deal with it again, but they're saints. See, Paul was always trying to point them to who they really are, who they really were. But he says this in 2 Corinthians 13.10, after he goes through this whole rant about just basically, you know, what's the answer? How, what, what do I do when I'm sinning? Uh, stop. Well, but I want some deep revelation. Uh, stop on my own. No, with the help of Jesus. <laughs> but stop. And he says this. That is why I write this while I'm away from you. It is so that when I arrive, I will not have to deal harshly with you in using the authority that the Lord has given me. Now listen close to this next sentence. He says, I don't want to deal harshly with the authority the Lord has given me. And then he says this, authority to build you up, not to tear you down. Come on, Paul, seriously? Paul's on to something here. Sometimes as, as pastors with good intention, we, we, we become sin managers. I refuse to do that. I'm not going to manage your sin. God's not trying to manage your sin. He's trying to say, uh, you're freed from sin. 
sin no longer has dominion over you. Are you missing the point? Yeah, but I got to. No, you don't got to. There's a decision. Who are you going to trust? You're going to walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit? I mean, we have to make a choice, right? But it's interesting to me that through this whole process, it's not pointing fingers and yelling from a pulpit and telling people, you better get it together, and why are you doing this? Now, there's, there's, great, there's great opportunities to pull someone aside that you have a relationship with and say, bro, this is going like, to hurt your marriage. Sister, uh, you're going to lose your job if you keep doing this. Hey, brother, th- you're going you're gonna to run into some bad circumstances and consequences if you keep making these choices. But do you see what Paul does? He says the authority God gave was to build you up, not tear you down. And so many times we flip it around. We're like, dude, I'm going to tear you down so then I can build you up. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. The authority I've been given is to build you up, not to tear you down. That's why he never says you dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. He says, hey, saints, why are you acting the fool? That's not who you are. You're going to suffer consequences. Get it together, man. Follow the spirit. You're always in the spirit because they'll never leave you, but follow the voice of the spirit. Don't walk according to the flesh. Walk according to the spirit. He keeps reminding them. He's trying to build them up, show them who they are. You're a saint. You're not a sinner. You see the difference? You're saints. You're not sinners. How many believers here today? You're saints. You're not sinners. When you hear that, do you go, wow, wow, that's who I am? Wow, maybe we just, wow, maybe we need to reintroduce ourselves to ourselves and who we really are. And then we'll go, wow, well, those decisions I'm making and that way of life that I'm going, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up with who I am. I'm a saint. I'm righteous and I'm holy. I'm brand new at the core. It's amazing what it will do to you. A couple um, chapters back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, Paul said this to the Corinthians. He says, You stare and stare at the obvious, but you can't see the forest for the trees. If you're looking for a clear example of someone on Christ's side, why do you so quickly cut me out? Then he says, believe me, I am quite sure of my standing with Christ. And then he says this, you may think I overstate the authority he gave me, but I'm not backing off. Paul knew who he was in Christ. He knew what the gospel meant, and he wasn't backing off. And then he says this, Every bit of my commitment is for the purpose of building you up, after all, not tearing you down. Why did he keep saying this? Because I'm sure when they were being chastised, when they were being disciplined, when he was saying words that seem hard out of love, they're like, oh man, I just feel like a filthy, rotten, dirty. Nope, you're a saint. Everything I'm saying is to build you up, not tear you down. I don't want you to get this wrong. If we would speak like this more from church pulpits, I think we would see people live more righteous lives. Because some people, we beat them down so bad, they walk out thinking, I'm not good enough. I screwed up again. I can't do this. I guess I'll just fake it till I make it. But you've already made it. You're 100% righteous at the core. It's who God's made you to be. I want to build people up when they come into Faith City Church. I want to, first of all, point them to Jesus, say he's the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. And when you come to him, he loves you so much, he's going to kill you. He's going to crucify that old man because you can't do it with that old man, that old spirit. He'll crucify you. But then the beauty is he'll raise you again to newness of life and say, I gave you a brand new life with new desires, new want-tos, with fruit, with good works. Will you trust me? That's what he's saying. Will you trust me? Do you trust Jesus? You don't have to answer that. I know Chad does. But do the rest of us trust Jesus? 
you know what I found is there's areas in my life sometimes where I don't really trust Jesus yet. And God still loves me. And he keeps showing me the way. He keeps showing me that that area of my life, listen, it's already been conquered. It doesn't have dominion over you. You don't have to respond to your wife that way. I'm telling on myself. I have those days. Do you have those days? And what I realize is a lot of times the way we respond and what we do is simply out of insecurity anyway. If we could become secure in who we are in Christ, who he's made us to be, we would respond differently to others and the circumstances and the situations. Amen. So why does Paul say this to them? Why does he keep saying, I'm building you up? I say these things to build you up, not tear you down. Why does he say this? Because we're brand new. He's trying to say, you are 100% compatible with God. I mean, come on, folks, this is awesome. Sure, there's, there's renewing of the mind. There's a process here. There's, there's growth. There's trials. There's circumstances. But you are new at the core no matter what comes at you and even on your worst day. Think about this. We do not get our righteousness, which is really our okayness with God, and identity from what or how we are doing. We get it from Jesus. He is our righteousness. So the how or the what you are doing is going gonna, is gonna to depend on how you see yourself. That's why Paul didn't say sinner. He said saints. Doing crazy stuff, saints. Stop acting like that, saints. Hey, you're saints. You're righteous. You're holy. You're pleasing. You're acceptable. You're saints. Stop sinning. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. You're saints, you're righteous, you're holy, you're pleasing. You see the theme here? This is what will radically transform your life. God is not trying to tweak you or fix you before he calls you okay. He says on a scale of 1 to 10, you are an 11. Say, I'm an 11. When God looks at you, he doesn't, he doesn't say 1 to 10, mm, 6. Mm. No, he goes 11. You're an 11. Are you feeling encouraged today? The truth is this. The new creation does not need to be broken, torn down, or killed off. Again, this idea of being broken, God breaking us. You know, it's not the new creation who needs to be broken. Think about this. The world system is broken. I mean, every day we see it. You see it in the news. We see the tragedy that happens. That's why I don't watch the news a whole lot, because I figure if it's that important, I'll hear about it. And you do hear about tragedy. I mean, we live in an unredeemed, sinful world. This planet's hurling all kinds of stuff at us. It's broken. So we have this broken world system, and that's why we come to God, so that we can become whole and unbroken. Do you see yourself separated from that system? You know, the Bible says this, that we're not of the world. In other words, you're not of this broken system. Sometimes you get caught up in, I'm not of the world. i got to be scared of the world. It's freaking me out. Well, don't let it freak you out. It's broken. So maybe you could be part of the healing process to the broken world. Instead of freaking out, we realize who we are, and then we just walk through the world, show the light of God, show his love, and say, you don't have to be broken. You can be whole in Jesus Christ. So do we believe that God is tearing us down and breaking us? Our final scripture for today is in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. I want to read verses 6 through 7. It says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives 
in him. Uh, Now, I love verse 6 here because it's telling us something. There's a key here. There's a truth that's going to help us. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. How do we receive Christ? By grace through faith. Right? By grace through faith. He says, just like you do that, continue to live your lives in him. Are we continuing to live our lives by grace through faith? That grace that is so sufficient, it will never run out. That faith or trust in God just gets stronger and stronger when we realize what a good father he is and the plan and the purpose that he has for our lives. He goes on to say this in verse 7, rooted and, here it is again, built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. What happens is at salvation, we receive Christ by grace through faith. I think too often we start to go into performance mode, self-effort mode. I got to really try hard to, to, to look like this or sound like that. When what Jesus is saying, what Paul is telling us is that, that Jesus wants us to simply continue to walk life by grace through faith. Think about that for a minute. What does that look like? It means every situation you come through, you say, I depend on your grace, God, and I trust you. Faith is simply trust. It's saying, I trust you in this circumstance. I trust you, no matter what comes at me, that you have my best interest in mind. I trust that you'll never leave me. I trust that I have a guaranteed, secure eternity with you. This changes everything in the midst of circumstances, doesn't it? By grace, through faith. And then I love the outcome here. As it strengthens your trust in God, it turns into an overflowing of thankfulness. You'll find yourself going through life and going, wow, thank you, God. You're so good. Thank you for new life. Thank you for caring, even though my job place didn't and fired me. You're like, what? How can, how can you have peace? Because God's got my back. God cares for me. God already knew this was going to happen. He knows my life story. He knows everything I'm ever going to do, the good and the bad. And then we just say, wow. And we say, thank you. That's faith. Amen. We are built up and established by God through Christ, not torn down. Are you, are you catching this? Now, again, at the end, you can agree to disagree, but I really hope you agree and say, wow, God is not in the business of breaking me down and tearing me down. He's in the business of building me up. Amen. And I understand that suffering happens. Bad circumstances happen, right? But do we grow from these situations? We learned last week that God isn't throwing those situations at us. He's not giving and then taking away and then hurling down sickness and disease and and bad circumstances to teach you lessons. He's there all along to help you learn and grow through those situations. It's like Jesus is right there building us up with the truth through every situation, no matter what the lie that it is that's coming into your life, he's always giving us truth of who we really are and truth of how he really sees us. Because Jesus is the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. He is not the author of our suffering. The other day I was talking to Pastor Chris at the Palm Harbor campus and uh, you know, we were talking about this idea of, of God breaking us. And he's like, yeah, have fun with that, Pastor. No, he's like, that's a good idea. I never thought about that. But he says, you know, think of it like this. Have you ever been hanging out with somebody and, and they might say, man, let me break it down for you. Or maybe say, hey, let me break it down for you. Maybe this is 80s talk. You guys are like, no, we've never heard that. But, but let's just imagine for a minute that we're in the 80s and we use that terminology. Let me break it down for you. What if today 
the Holy Spirit is breaking it down for us. He's breaking down truth for us. He's helping us to see a better way. He's helping us to see that, that he's not the author of the destruction. He's not author of the breaking. Uh, he certainly wants to break the, the bondage on our life of the flesh and dependency on the flesh and, and break old thought patterns and habits. But as far as we're concerned, he's not breaking us. He's building us up. And let me just end with this statement. Don't continue to reject yourself when the God of the universe has accepted you. I think too often we reject ourselves because we see our day-to-day. I think it's so important that, that we don't see ourselves and become so familiar with ourselves that we forget how God sees us, for real. That we forget who we really truly are. And it's out of that knowing who you really are that the right actions and words and acts will, will happen and come out of your life. Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for truth. We're, we're thankful for a place that we can come to a building where we attend and we can receive truth and begin to know that truth through truth and time and that knowing of the truth sets us free. I pray today that we've sensed freedom in this area of our life, that we would start to see ourselves as who we truly are, that we would realize, Father, that you're not in the business of breaking us down or tearing us down. You're in the business of building us up For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.